Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. We've been in a series here that started a couple weeks ago in 1 Samuel. And we're walking through um, the first, I think it's seven chapters of 1 Samuel this summer. And we told you that as we came to this this series, um, the, the... Book of 1 Samuel comes right in the period, right at the end of the period of the judges. And why that's important for us is to remember this phrase, that at this time, when we come to 1 Samuel, it says that everyone, Judges 21, uh, 25, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So that's the context in which we come to 1 Samuel here. Now, that shouldn't sound strange to us. We know from the beginning of the Bible, how did sin enter into the world? Adam and Eve wanted to be like God, so they did what was right in their own eyes. That's how sin entered the world. That's how we are, um, uh, mankind is affected by sin, right? Everyone did what's right in their own eyes. Again, it shouldn't surprise us. Did you teach your toddler to pitch a fit when they didn't get what they wanted? No. It's natural. I mean natural in the human condition that we were born into, right? That is natural. It is the the result of sin in this world, okay? Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And so we come to our passage today, and we come to a story that might feel all too familiar to us, all too relatable in this world that we live in. Because we come to a story where it is clear that everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. And so the story's kind of messy. By the way, I did not pick this passage for Father's Day. We just chose to go through 1 Samuel, and this is the passage that God in his sovereignty led us to. I didn't even realize it until this week, and I'm like, oh, this will be fun. (laughs) So hang in there, okay? (laughs) It's a pretty negative story. But our application is going to be from, um, there's going to be positive applications for us in the midst, stated positively in the midst of a negative story. And so those are going to be our three points today. And I'm going to put them up here for you now. Those points are obedience to God is good for his people. Obedience to God requires leaders to consistently do the hard thing. And God is faithful even in the darkness. Now, as we get ready to read, let me remind you now of the immediate context of the story, and that is that Hannah, a godly lady, we've talked about this the last couple of weeks, but just a refresher if you weren't here, um, Hannah, a godly lady, could not have children when her husband's other wife could. And she prayed to God in messy desperation. And in that prayer, she made a promise to God to devote her son to his service if, she w- if he would bless her with a son. God did. He blessed her with a son, and she kept her promise. Hannah kept her promise. And then last week, we spent most of our time seeing that, uh, looking at Hannah's praise for the character of God and for his faithfulness. But again, all of that's happening in this backdrop where the majority of the culture was doing what was right in their own eyes. And that brings us to the messy and pretty bleak situation at hand. 
We begin to read, we're going to read 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 12 through 36, or look at that throughout the morning. I'm not going to read it all at once. We'll read it in sections as we go. So now, verses 12 through 17 of 1 Samuel chapter 2. And I remind you that this is God's word. Now the sons of Eli, and just to preface that, Eli was the priest to whom Hannah had entrusted her son Samuel, if you don't know that. So now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priest with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first, and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt." So again, the first point that I want us to see here is it's a, it's a positive point pulled from a negative story. Obedience to God is good for his people. And there's two places that sum up the negative side of this in this passage. Right, verse 12 is the first place. The sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Pretty, pretty stark statement. Why, did it, why is it there? What does it mean that they didn't know the Lord? Yeah, they didn't know him. They knew all about him. They were in his service, even. So what does it mean? It means that he, they did not care about the Lord. They had no desire to obey or follow the Lord. They had no desire to obey what he said was good and right. They were involved in religious service to him, but had no real relationship with him at all. And this reminds me, um, I think it's Exodus 5, I thought about it in the first service and meant to look it up in between. Pretty sure it's Exodus 5 where Moses goes to Pharaoh and Moses goes, hey, Pharaoh, let my people go. And God says he's going to do this if you don't. And Pharaoh's response was, what do I care? Who's God? That's a paraphrase, by the way. But what do I care? Who's God? Right? That's what these, these sons of Eli, um, Hophni and Phinehas, were doing. And as a result... They were not leading the people well. They were actually using the religious approach as a means to their own gain. Now, when we think about that today, most of the time what we think about in that context, um, we hear stories of churches or church leaders or pastors who misuse or mishandle and abuse the financial offerings of the people. Right? That's, that's kind of what we hear the most of today. And that is horrible. It's awful. It should never happen, Right? And that's part of kind of what's going on here, but it's much worse than that. It's actually much worse than that. It's where verse 17 comes in, the second key phrase in our section. The sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Here's the point. Their disobedience was committed right in the middle of everything 
that was at the heart and core to the, to the relationship the people of Israel had with God. Now, if you don't, that might not make sense if you're not familiar with the sacrificial system. I'm going to make it very brief, not, not long at all. You can go read Leviticus. You know that part that you skip over when you're trying to read through the Bible in a year? Go read that, all right, and it'll tell you all about this, okay? Here's the summary. There is a very clear and explicit way that God has said the people were to come to him with offerings and sacrifices, and there is a very clear and explicit way that God told the priest to offer the sacrifice. They could not just simply decide to do it differently because they came up with a better plan. They couldn't just do what was right in their own eyes. Why is that? Why is it so core? Because the sacrificial system pointed to the people of Israel's need for a mediator, it pointed to their need for someone to do something that they couldn't do, and that was that blood would be shed for their sin. The whole system was pointing forward to Jesus to come. And right in the middle of that system, you see these priests disobeying God. They were actually using the system to do it. To deviate from, the, from what God had laid out was disobedience. But have you ever heard somebody use the phrase, hey, if you're going to sin, sin boldly. If you're going to do something, you know, do it, do it with conviction or with... These guys went all in. They had no regard for the Lord. In fact, it says they had contempt for the offerings of the Lord. They disregarded all that God had said. They got a servant... They didn't even do it themselves. They got a servant to go around, stick the, stick the three-pronged fork in, and pull out whatever they could pull out. That was not how they were told to do it. And then they said, actually, you know, we really don't even want this boiled meat. It was even worse than that. We, we, this boiled meat, you know, we're doing that. We're getting bigger portions. We really want the raw meat. Now, to us today, we're like, okay, so what, what does that matter, right? Here's the problem. The Israelites were supposed to burn the fat off of, and the fat portions of everything they ate, and they were supposed to burn it as, a, as an offering, a guilt offering, to the Lord. They weren't supposed to eat it. They were supposed to burn it. Now, these priests are saying, uh, now they're, they're telling, telling the servant, go to the people of Israel, and when they say, hey, can we at least burn the fat? Can we do that? Because that's supposed to be an aroming pleasing to the Lord. Can we do that? He said, no, take it from them by force. The very thing that was meant to picture their need and relationship with God was disregarded as they did what was right in their own eyes. The sacrificial system doesn't apply to us today. Um, why is that? Because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus was the ultimate high priest and offered once for all the sacrifice for the sins of his people. We see that, if you want to read about that, one of those places is in Hebrews. Right, Jesus did that. The civil law governing the, the um, government of Israel doesn't exist today because the nation of Israel, the, the church is the new Israel, so that, that doesn't exist today, right, for us. What does, though, what, did not, what was not taken away 
was the law of God in relation to how we are to live our lives in honor of him, in obedience to him. That wasn't taken away. And so today as we come to this, God has given us clear guidance, guidelines, rules. We don't like those words, do we? But he's given us clear rules and laws and guidance about what is good for us. And he didn't say it's good for us if you just decide it's good for you and you agree with me. He said, it's good for you. You don't get to make the decision about what's good for you and what's not in relation to God. He shows us that. You can decide to obey or disobey, but he said, this is what's good for us. And so we can't, we can't change the interpretation. We can't throw it out because our culture says something different. Our culture is not God. God is God, and there is only one. And so when we find ourselves manipulating these things in our minds or pretending they don't apply to us, acting as if our clear disobedience doesn't matter, then I I want to caution us because what we may be doing there is treating God's law with contempt and teaching those around us to do so, our children, those around us um, day to day. Instead, we need to ask God, we need to ask God to do what Hophni and Phinehas wouldn't. We need to ask him to break our hearts for our sin. We need to ask him to show us our sin and give a deep gratitude for the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus. Do you do that? Do you ever do that? Or do you simply hope that he doesn't really notice your sin? Or that even if he notices it, he doesn't really care? That's hard, right? But when he does it, there's more. When he does it, when he breaks our hearts, when he shows us our sin, what do we do? We repent. And repentance means not just saying I'm sorry, but turning back to the very strength we were given through the work of Jesus. And ask him by the power of his Holy Spirit to strengthen us to obey him fresh and anew. To teach us to live our lives in praise and obedience to him. Because that is what is good for his people. And here's what I want you to hear. He will do it when we ask him to. He will both show us the sin. But... Because of Jesus, he can look at us, show us a sin, and love us through it. And here's what I mean. He shows it to us. He convicts us of it. But he will give us the power to fight it. Because it's what is good for us. Here's where the trouble comes. The trouble comes is when, when we quit asking him to do it. When we quit asking him to show us the sin. Or when we quit asking him to give us the power to deal with it. That's where the trouble comes. 
when we treat God's law and the work of Jesus, his offering, his sacrifice for us with contempt. Now, some of you may hear that and because of how you were raised, because of your upbringing, um, you may hear that and think, well, here we go again. You're just, you're just beating me up. If all you're hearing is go do better, then you're not hearing what I'm saying and you're not hearing what God's word is saying. Because you can't go do better in your own strength. You need to ask him to give you strength by his spirit to obey his law. And he, keep, he says he'll do it. And he'll do it again and again and again. But if you've gotten to the place in your life where you're like, you got to this place and you're like, well, I don't want to keep doing that because I like what I'm doing, that's a problem. But if you've also gotten to a place where you're like, I don't need to ask God. I'm, I'm old, older. I figured all this out. I know my sin. I got it. I don't really need to keep asking God to show me this. Then you're missing out. And you're missing out on the grace of God applied in every area of your life. You're missing out on growing in him and how good he really is. And so I'd encourage you to do it. But it's not easy. And we see that as he gets to Eli here. Because he says, so, so our second point is obedience to God requires leaders to consistently do the hard thing. Eli was the leader. He was the priest at Shiloh. He was the guy in charge, the head guy. He was also the leader of his family. And we see that after many years of saying and doing nothing, finally, after seeing all that was being said about his sons from the people, he finally, finally, when he was very old, finally, he tries to intercede and stop his sons for what they were doing. Look at verses 22 to 25. Now Eli was very old. And he kept hearing all that his sons were doing in it to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings with, from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. They would not listen to the voice of their father. All right, so it's Father's Day, right? Fathers, think with me for a minute. If you're a father, and if you're not a father in here, you can just imagine, okay? You're a father, and your child was acting as these boys were, shunning the name of God, saying all that, he, all that God said was good was actually bad and outdated. Your child didn't want to follow the things of God, but instead wanted to follow the desires of their own heart. And finally, after you were very, very old, after never saying anything to your children in this way, after never leading them and pointing them to Jesus, finally, when you're very, very old, you went to your child and you finally said something. Do you think they'd listen? Probably not. Outside of the work of God in their hearts, probably not, right? That's part of what's going on here. 
It applies to fathers. It really applies to mothers as well. But it applies to fathers and it applies to the church, to leadership within the church. You see, when, when there's not a foundation being built in the family or in the church to look to the things of God, when fathers or leaders fail to consistently lead a family or the church in hard things, when we, when we fail to deal with sin and, and walk through it together, clearly and lovingly walking through it, what happens? People become hardened to the things of God. We see it all over God's word. We can't hide from it. Right? Hebrews 10:26 talks about it. It says um, the hardness that comes through, it talks about the hardness that comes through deliberately sinning over and over after receiving the knowledge of the truth. And as you do, hearts will be hardened. Romans 1 shows the result of that, right? We went through a whole series on Romans, right? Romans 1, what does it talk about? It says that because they persisted, God gave them over to those things. And that is why, verse 25, it's why we can say God is just in what he does in verse 25, and it says that it was God's will to put them to death because of the deliberate contempt for him and ongoing sin again and again and again. In Eli's case, it goes even further. Look at verses 27 through 29. And there came a man of God to Eli, And said to him, thus says the Lord, did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling? And why do you honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? What God's doing here through this anonymous man of God, right, who comes, what he's doing here is he's speaking um, through rhetorical questions, reminding Eli of all the ways he'd been blessed. Did I reveal myself to your father? He's talking about Aaron when the uh, Israelites were in Egypt. Um, did I reveal myself to your father when they were in Egypt subject to Pharaoh? Eli would have known the answer. Yes. Did I choose him, Eli, out of all the tribes to go up to my altar to burn incense, to be the high priest and wear an ephod before God? Did I give him the privilege of offering sacrifices by fire to be the representative of the people? Eli would know the answer. Yes, Lord, you did. Okay, so then why, Eli? Why? Why did you scorn my sacrifices and offerings that I commanded for my dwelling? Why did you sin with the very sacrifices that were meant to point people to their forgiveness in me? Why did you sin by honoring your sons over me, Eli? All of you fattening yourselves on the choicest part of my offering. Eli could have dealt with his sons. Eli had the power to remove them from their positions. He was the guy in Shiloh. He could have removed them from that. Instead, he participated in and benefited from their disobedient behavior. Why would they listen to him now? He'd never corrected them. 
and he had actually participated with them. Now imagine the reality sinking in here for Eli. We don't see a response. We're not given a response recorded um, in the passage. But you know it's got to be rough. And then we do see the result. It's in verses 30 through 34. I'm not going to read it now um, just because of time. But we see the result and it is the just consequence for disobedience. It's that Eli's house is going to be cut off for their persistent disobedience and contempt for the Lord. And Eli suffers consequences for allowing his sons to take, the, take advantage of their position and steal from God. Eli suffers the consequences of not consistently doing the hard thing and dealing with what God was putting in front of him and with his sons. See, persistent disobedience, what, what ends up happening when we persist in the disobedience is that it displays darkness in this world. It shows darkness. But here's where I want to leave you today. God is faithful, even in the darkness. So let's talk about that for a minute. You might have noticed as I went through this that I skipped a couple verses. You know, everything in this with Eli's family is a mess. Right? It's awful. But right after the first part, um, right after the first thing where he's, where he's talking about how Eli's sons were disobedient and how they had done the things with the offering, right after that, in verses 18 through 21, it's like this light, this glimmer of light in the midst of the darkness. And here's the light. Samuel was ministering, before, verse 18, Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod, and his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Why is this inserted there? As he goes right back to the mess, but inserted right in the middle of that, is that God is showing he is still faithful. Samuel, this little boy, this little boy was destined to be a priest because of his mother's, God had used his mother's obedience in the midst of all of this. And he was going to be a priest that was going to show the light of God in the midst of this darkness. And he would continue to do so as he grew in the presence of the Lord. Hophni and Phinehas were going after everything in their own, in the, that they wanted. They were going after everything that seemed right in their own eyes. And that's what they thought was going to make them happy. Samuel ministered in the presence of the Lord. And that's where we see him growing. Growing and content in the presence of the Lord. We see him again after we hear about Eli confronting his sons. Verse 26 now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with men. Does that sound familiar? It should. In Luke chapter 2, guess who that's set of? That's set of Jesus. This is a light pointing forward to the light that is going to come, the light of Jesus. 
God is showing that even when all this stuff is in disarray, I'm not going to forget my promises. Eli is this little light in the midst of darkness. Throughout the whole story, we see that darkness but God. God is faithful to his people. Look at verse 35. Eli's house is going to be cut off. Verse 35. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build for him a sure house. And he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. In the immediate context, who is this talking about? The immediate context is talking about Samuel, right? It's talking about Samuel. It's talking about that he's being raised up to take Eli's place. But, oh, it's so much bigger than that. Because ultimately, he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about Jesus to come, the faithful high priest, the one without sin, the one who could offer sacrifice for sin once for all. And scripture tells us when Jesus was going to come that those dwelling in the land of darkness would see a great light. It's quoted in Isaiah 9 too as a prophecy and then we see it again in Luke. Those dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. On them a light has shone. If you are here today and you are a follower of Jesus, a light is shown. The blood of Jesus has been applied to you. And so you can, I'm going to say it this way, safely go to him and say, Lord, show me my sin because that sin has been paid for. And so you can do it without walking away. We can have sorrow without the guilt and the shame. And then you can do it with confidence because he's done what is necessary for you to be called his. And he will keep working in and through you. And here's what's beautiful, though. Not only is he the light for us, he calls his church, his people, the family of God, to shine that light in the world around us. That's part of being part of the, his kingdom coming. His will being done on earth as it is in heaven is that we get to shine that light to one another in the way we obey him and follow him, in the way we repent of our sin, in the way we care about the fatherless. I mean, we could go on and on. We get to be a part of that together. God is faithful, even in the darkness. Today, as we come to the Lord's table, I want to ask you um, to kind of come back around to where we were at the beginning. And will you today say, Lord, show me my sin? And if you're a follower of Jesus, do it with confidence. Show me my sin. And then we'll come and see his, give, his forgiveness applied to our hearts in our response with the Lord's table. Take a few moments of silent prayer and we'll come to the table together.
Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at thevinecc. Have a great week.